Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 26. And we're winding down to the end. There's only 31 chapters. So we're continuing to see these snippets of wisdom that we hope to try to make application to our lives. Because remember that we want to live wisely in God's world. This is God's world. He created it all. He created us to live in it, but not be of it. And so there are certain things, there are certain decisions, choices that we need to make to live wisely in this world so that we don't live according to the ways of the world, but we live according to the ways of the Lord who created us for His good pleasure and for our benefit and to ultimately glorify Him with everything that we do. So we see these, these verses and these passages of wisdom, and when we really consider them and make application to our lives in all of the various ways, because you know we've seen in the last 25 chapters that there are so many different applications as uh, to our lives, whether it's with family, with, uh, with our jobs, um, you know, with the Lord, with other people. There's so many different applications that we can make. We can't go through a day where we wouldn't be able to make really good use, really good application of what we learn in the book of Proverbs. So all together, we see that this is really teaching us how to live the right way. Um, in this world. So if we jump, as we jump into Proverbs chapter 26, we're going to start to see in the first few verses ways that we have to deal with an unwise person. The, uh, the writer of the Proverbs calls him a fool. I like to go a little bit softer on him and call him an unwise person. But someone who's acting foolishly. See, I wouldn't necessarily call him a fool, but they certainly are acting foolishly. So we're going to see what our response should be to someone like that. Jumping in, in verse 1. As snow in summer and rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. So we see this, you know, we're going to get snow on Friday. It's not the summer, but it's a little too close to spring for my, for my uh, taste. But the inconsistency of snow in summer and rain in the fall, it's a metaphor that the author uses to describe something about what our response should be about uh, our, and our interaction with a foolish person. You know, it's a contradictory thing to see snow in the summer. So we shouldn't give admiration. We shouldn't give esteem to a foolish person. It only puffs them up. You know, it only encourages them to continue in their foolishness. But not only that, it can give others the impression that we somehow approve of their foolish or unwise actions. So we need to, you know, when we see somebody doing something foolish, 
sometimes the best thing that we can do is to actually go to them and tell them, you know, and, and not let other people think that we're approving of their, fo of their foolish actions and their behavior because we represent Christ. You know, when we should demonstrate in everything we do, in all of our relational um, uh, applications, we should demonstrate the wisdom that we know from the Scriptures. Verse 2, like a flitting sparrow or a flying swallow, so a curse without a cause shall not alight. So we're starting to see the birds come back, and I notice they kind of go flitting back and forth from tree to tree and uh, probably gathering things to make nests. It looks as though they're darting about with no apparent direction. And this is what the, the author is saying here. It's, you know, it won't, it won't have any desired outcome because it just looks like it's not going to go anywhere. When someone tries to curse you, when someone tries to disparage you falsely, they, they won't gain any traction. And this is good advice for all of us. If we're accused of something and you know that it's false, consider the person accusing you. If they seem like uh, you know, they're all over the place, always going about with no direction or purpose, and they move from one person and criticize that person and move to another person and criticize that person, probably would be best to ignore their accusations because it probably has no merit. So just wise advice for us. And you know, we can all think about those situations that we've seen that happen. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the fool's back. So this is colorful language that the writer is using to describe correction or rebuke that can be useful in directing a foolish person back toward wisdom. Now, we may have opportunities to speak to people that we know are going down a wrong path, that we know are going down a destructive path, somebody acting foolishly, and we may be able to get them to turn around if we give them proper biblical correction. As believers, as people who desire to live, you know, according to the Bible, we can use the wisdom of the Scriptures for someone else's benefit, you know, as well as our own. But as we see somebody that we can interact with, we want to be able to, to point them in the right direction. Verses 4 and 5, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So we have to take these two verses together because at first it seems like they're saying the opposite of one another. Verse 4 says that if we stoop down to the level of a foolish person, we can run the risk of becoming like them. And you, we know, we have, sometimes we have conversations with people and it just goes downhill as the conversation gets more foolish and more foolish. And we sometimes are drawn into that. We don't want to do that. You know, it's very rare that a foolish person will actually get wiser in their conversation. A lot of times a wise person can get can get drawn into foolishness. So be careful how you engage a person who's acting foolishly. You don't want to become like them. And then verse 5 actually continues to support this. It's according to his folly in that verse means as his folly deserves. So if we don't give credibility to a foolish person, 
if we uh, don't engage them as if they have any credibility, then we won't give them any, uh, any reason to continue in their foolishness. Instead, we can expose that, and hopefully they'll, they'll turn from their ways. They'll see it themselves, and they'll change. Verse 6, he who sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. So this is practical, just not to send a foolish person on an important assignment. In other words, don't expect good results if you send a foolish person on an important job. It can actually reflect poorly on you too, you know, because you're using then poor judgment in who you might delegate that important assignment to. Now, I think of, you know, the government, you know, and the politicians and how the really the best leaders are the ones that surround themselves with qualified people that they can delegate to. You know, imagine, you know, the, the, the president surrounding himself with a lot of fools and then, s- and then giving them all assignments. He, you wouldn't expect really positive results. Some, some may think it's already been done, but... <coughs> You know, just for us in our, in, our, in our day-to-day, you know, or even in the workplace, you know, to, to be th- thoughtful of that stuff. Uh, verses 7 through 9 kind of all go together. Like the legs of, a lame, of the lame that hang limp is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like one who binds a stone in a sling is he who gives honor to a fool. And like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. So still in this section of, uh, of how we deal with foolish people, three different situations we have here in these three verses and how they each compare uh, how a foolish person, how, how we relate to a foolish person. So it says here in verse 7, the legs of a lame person Uh, that hang limp. They may look healthy, but they can't perform the task that they were designed to perform. They They won't have a positive effect. So even if a foolish person expresses, maybe they express a wise saying, it really won't accomplish the same thing because, you know, it's that old saying, consider the source, right? When, when somebody who's, you know, shown time and time again, that they're not very wise, that they do foolish things, and then they all of a sudden they say something that, that may sound like wisdom. You know, you have to take it for who's, who's saying it. Wisdom from the mouth of a fool will be seen more for who's delivering it than the actual words that are being said. And then in verse um, 8, you know, you have to think about the imagery here of a, uh, a, a stone and a sling. When you had a stone that you wanted to fling as a weapon, you would tie it in a sling and you would keep it loose and then you would release one end of the sling and the stone would fly. But this is talking about taking that stone and kind of wrapping it tightly in the sling. So it's not going to accomplish anything. So again, like giving honor to a fool is not going to accomplish much. If you take a stone and tie it tightly, you won't be able to deliver it to its intended target. It'll become useless. And then verse 8, one more in this, in this same set of verses here. It gives us the sense that 
not only will the wise words not accomplish what they intend to do in the mouth of a fool, but they actually might cause harm. Or they may actually use scripture or wisdom from the Bible to harm people instead of to help them. So we see here it really does depend on not only what's being said, but who's saying it. We see all of these things that that we're warned against, you know. And for us who know the Word of God, who, who, for us who study it and want to live by it, we don't want to be seen by the world especially as a foolish person. We want to be seen by someone who actually has some wisdom that we can impart to, to other people. Verse 10, The great God who formed everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor his wages. So this, this verse is actually very difficult to interpret. It doesn't seem it. But if we go to almost every other translation, like the NIV, it says in the NIV, like an archer who wounds at random is one who hires a fool or any passerby. So that's a whole different meaning than the great God who formed everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor his wages. So what I'm going to do, because there's a little bit of actually confusion about this verse, I'm going to give the two different interpretations and then I'll give it to you to pray about and seek out on your own. So the first, the f- the first one here, uh, the NIV, like an archer who wounds at random, it gives us a meaning that where a powerful, if a powerful person is acting foolishly, then they will hire a, f- a fool or just hire somebody who's passing by to do, to do a job in their place of business. So it's just a foolish act to do, like an archer who just shoots an arrow anywhere. You know, it's not going to really uh, accomplish anything great. In the New King James, it says, it speaks here to the justice of God. You know, like the great God who formed everything. He's going to give wages due according to man's works. In, in Romans 2, just to kind of solidify that interpretation, in Romans 2, it says about God, who will render to each according to his deeds eternal life, to those who by patient, contu- c- patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, ind- indignation, and wrath. So we see God will always be fair and, and just in the way he, he deals with each of us. And so we can take it that way in the New King James, and it, it's definitely true. So either way, you can, you can study that on your own and make your own choice. Verse 11, as a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. So we've probably heard this saying before, um, used, and, you know, it's actually kind of disgusting. If you have a dog, sometimes they actually will do that. Um, the Apostle Peter actually quoted this. Uh, in chapter 2 of Second Peter. It says in verses 20 through 22, and this will give us a little context about the meaning of it. For if after they escaped the pollutions of the world 
through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and, and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it turned from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. So this is kind of a sad situation when we think about it. This is someone that we may know that's escaped a worldly lifestyle, maybe come out of some addictive per, uh, uh, you know, a lifestyle and then fallen back into it, become trapped again in that sin. You know, Peter expresses the sad reality that for them it almost would be better that they never knew the Lord than for someone who knew the Lord and f has fallen away from him. We see that time and time again, you know, that people for some reason want to go back to those things that they escaped from. And again, if we have an opportunity to, you know, to help them not do that, that's what we want to use the wisdom of the scriptures to do. Verse 12, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. So self-deception. Self-deception is really one of the greatest obstacles to personal growth because you're not really looking at yourself honestly. You know, and until we really look at our own faults and our own mistakes, we can't really change. Uh, Jesus rebuked the religious leaders um, many times because they didn't see their own sin. They thought they were in no need of salvation because they were righteous, because they were the religious leaders. But instead, they were self-deceived. He says in Mark 2, And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him, Jesus, eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? It's like they were saying, you know, we're not sinners, they're sinners, and Jesus is eating with them. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So this is just showing us here that we need to look honestly at ourselves, understand our need, understand that we're sinners. Know that we can't do it on our own, that we need Jesus, and then receive his forgiveness. So that's the section on fools. Now we're going to get to a section on lazy people. So in verses 13 through 16, we're going we're to see a few different instances here of what uh, kind of give us insight into the mind of a lazy person. Verse 13, it says, The lazy man says, There's a lion in the road. A fierce lion is in the streets. Verse 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. The lazy man buries his hand in the bowl. It wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. And then verse 16, the lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So did you get a picture of any of those? So the first person says he's just, he'll invent any excuse to get out of work and we may have actually had coworkers that would do that. You'd, you'd hear them give this, these wild excuses. This guy says, 
I can't get to work because there's a lion in the streets. And back then that was kind of a saying that meant that's really not a true excuse. That can't be possible. So you're just making something up because you're too lazy to go to work. It can't be a, a true circumstance. Verse 14 compares the lazy man on his bed to a door swinging on its hinges. So we get the picture in our mind. So this is like the ultimate snooze button pusher, you know, who turns over in his bed like a hinge and then turns back the other way and goes back to sleep. So I did that yesterday, by the way. It's very rare that I do that. Verse 15 speaks of a person so lazy, listen how lazy this person is, that he won't even lift the food out of the bowl to his mouth. He'd rather starve than put, put forth the effort to feed, feed himself. So he buries his hand in the bowl to get the food, but then he won't take it up and bring it to his mouth. That's lazy. And verse 16 here, we see the lazy person's self-deception and lack of commitment in searching out the right answer. You know, this is somebody who just says, I know the answer, I, I got it, but isn't willing to go and do the research to know whether he's actually right or not. And, you know, we can make application to that. Even in our conversations about the scriptures, we don't know every answer to every question that somebody might ask us. And even in conversations here at the church, it might be better to say, listen, I don't know, but I'll find out. You know, I'm not sure, but I'll check and I'll, f and I'll do the research for you. Then just, you know, thinking you know the answer and blurting something out and being, and being wrong. So that's just, that's just practical wisdom. Verse 17, he who passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a dog by the ears. So dogs in that society, especially back then, were not pets like they are today. They were mostly wild. And, uh, you know, you took a dog by the ears in that, in that day, and they're going to they're gonna turn and they're going to bite you. So Solomon here is equating, you know, seeing a dispute, you know, that has nothing to do with you, and it's none of your business, and you shouldn't get involved. Because you might not even know who's right and who's wrong. So it's just, you know, it's just practical wisdom. They probably are both going to turn on you at that point. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. So, you know, we've all experienced practical jokes, and sometimes they're not that funny, honestly. Sometimes they can be really hurtful. So this is, you know, just saying, you know, this is someone who's actually deceiving his neighbor and then saying, I was only joking. So they can have a, it can have damaging effects on people. Sometimes you, you know, some, somebody might say or do something to deceive someone and then say it was only a joke when it may not have been a joke. It might have been just their excuse to, you know, to lessen the damage um, that it caused. The next several verses um, give us wisdom regarding the power of the tongue and the danger of slander, gossip, and spreading discord among people. So verses 20 and 21, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tailbearer, 
strife ceases. As charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. So you know that gossip will end if there's no one to spread it. You know, it comes to a, it comes to a halt. Slander can't continue if there's no one there to fuel the fire. You know, just like a fire that will eventually go out if you don't give it any more fuel, any more wood. You know, we shouldn't be fueling gossip. We shouldn't be fueling slander about somebody by adding to it. Sometimes we might find ourselves in a conversation that turns that way. We're just having a, a, a friendly conversation and someone will start to talk about someone else. It's up to us to stop that in its tracks. Another pastor uh, told me once that if someone comes up to you and wants to talk about someone else, the best thing to do is ask them if it's okay if you mention it to them. Because the, and if they say no, then you say, then I don't want to hear it. So, you know, that's just wisdom in, you know, being actually being kind to people, not spreading things. Uh, and then so you just say, listen, I don't want to hear it either. If, if that person, you know, can't know that we've discussed this, then I don't want to hear it. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. Fervent lips with a wicked heart are like an earthenware, like earthenware covered with silver dross. So we've got to get the picture here. This speaks of the hypocrisy of a gossiper. So they want to always put on a disguise. They want to always put on concern. Well, I was only concerned for them. That's why I was telling you this. And when deep down, they re just really want to spread tales about people. So it's that thin, cheat, that thin covering. Like in that, in that verse 23, it says, like earthenware covered with silver dross. So it's like a cheap pot covered with a thin veneer of silver. It makes it look really expensive and valuable. It looks good from the outside, but it's got no real value. I think of the song by the Eagles. You can't hide your lion eyes. You guys know that? And your smile is a thin disguise. That's, that's what they do. They kind of smile and they, and they make it seem like they, they're, being, they're being nice when there's something going on underneath. We continue here in the hypocrisy of the gossiper in verses 24 through 26. He who hates disguises it with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. So he's even trying to fool himself here. When he speaks kindly, do not believe him. For there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. So again, this is a person who's just covering up you know, making it seem like everything's great when he's really, he's, he's speaking uh, slander or gossiping about somebody else. Jeremiah 9.8 speaks about this. It says, their tongue is an arrow shot out. It speaks deceit. One speaks peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in his heart he lies in wait. So there's really something going on deep inside that's different than what he's putting out on his outward appearance. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have uh, it roll back on him. So this is devising a plan to ruin someone, devising a plan, you know, to destroy someone, 
and eventually it's going to come back on you. You know, just remember that, whether it's in this life or the next life, we see that. You know, I think of the story, when I, when I read this, this verse, I thought of the story of, uh, in Daniel, when the, they were throwing the three men into the fiery furnace. And it says in, in Daniel 3.22, Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the guys who threw the men into the fire got burnt up. So it's, it shows me here that, you know, you, when you, when you want to destroy someone else, it's eventually going to come back on you. And in verse 28, as we finish up this, this proverb, a lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth worth works ru- ruin. So hate is usually the motivation behind someone's lying tongue and they may flatter you but deep down if there's hate there they're going to just use that to uh to destroy you so uh we long for the day (laughs) don't we that jesus restores this world back to righteousness and love and instead of hate and uh and destruction Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go on and uh get into proverbs chapter 27 And the first six verses can be grouped together in pairs. So we got uh, three pairs of two. Um, Each verse kind of complements the other one, and they kind of enhance the thought of the other one. So in verses one and two, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Let another man praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. You know, the future is not in our hands, really. It rests in the hands of a, a loving God. You know, we can plan our ways, but we, could un- we should understand that God will ultimately, uh, you know, accomplish his will in our life. And in verse 2, just as the proud person will boast that he knows what tomorrow will bring, he will also praise himself for that. So it's always better to leave praise to someone else than it is to praise yourself. We don't want to be seen as arrogant or conceited. It, better yet, it's better to have the Lord praise us. In, in James 4, it speaks of this in a practical sense and about just praying for the Lord's will to be done. In verse 13 through 15, it says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. So that's, that's how we should approach each and every day, each and every decision, each and every step that we take in this life. You know, and so, you know, just practical ways of living a day-to-day life. Verse 3 and 4, a stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than both of them. Wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy? So the wrath of a foolish person is burdensome. And, you know, when someone can't control his temper, that carries a lot of weight. 
you know, they have outbursts of anger, it can cause great damage to someone, because especially because it's unpredictable. You know, you never know how that person's gonna gonna act. It says here, you know, wrath is a cruel and anger. It's a torrent. It just rushes at you. You don't know when to expect it. And jealousy is included in this because jealousy is just is an ugly, ugly emotion. And it can produce extreme anger, too, which can, which can harm people. Open rebuke is better than love, carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So this pair of verses speaks about the openness of someone who's willing to come to you in love in order to provide correction or discipline as opposed to someone who pretends that everything's okay but they're harboring some concealed resentment against you. You'd rather have people be open. You'd rather have people be honest. You'd rather be wounded by a friend, so to speak, in love than kissed in deceit. It's always better to be open. Ephesians 4.15 speaks about this. It says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto, into him who is the head Christ. So that speaks about our maturity as, as Christians. Being able to go to someone in love and speak the truth in love and not hide it. The other side of it is when someone comes to you in love and, and is trying to give you biblical correction or advice or counsel to receive it as that, as that they're coming to you in love. Speaking the truth to one another. It'll help us grow into the image of Jesus. Verse 7, A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb, but to a hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. So this is just a way of, another way of saying that if you're, if you're rich and you're full, then it doesn't matter. The sweetest food won't even appeal to you. But if you're hungry and you don't have anything, well, it do, any food is satisfying. Like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. So I think back in that time, we think about the Jewish people who were so often taken from their homeland into captivity to a strange land. And it was kind of a strategy of their enemy to deport them to a strange land where they couldn't, they had no home, you know, they had no neighbors, they couldn't worship, and... You know, it's really difficult for people to remove, be removed from a place where they call home. You know, even today, right, we go on vacation, but isn't it always good to get home? There's just something comforting and secure about that. Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. So good godly counsel is refreshing. Refreshing to the hearer because it can open doors of healing and of restoration. We should seek out godly counsel. And we should be willing, if someone comes to us also, to give that, knowing that it can open doors of healing and restoration. Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. So this is kind of giving us the idea that sometimes the best friends 
are not relatives. They're considered family. Like I consider you guys my family because you're really closer to me than my, my actual family is. So it says here, sometimes a friend who's not related might be actually closer than a blood relative. And, you know, and appreciate that for what it is. You know, sometimes a neighbor nearby is better than a brother far away. My son be wise, verse 11, and make my heart glad that I might answer him who reproaches me. So, good advice for our children. A child who acts with wisdom is always a blessing to their parent. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. The simple pass on and are punished. So it's wise for us to be looking out for sin and staying clear of it. Or else we'll get punished by falling into a bad situation. This is a repeat of Proverbs 22, verse 3. So we can see, we're going to start to see these over and over again. And I think for the reason that you know, we're, we should be learning them and applying them to our, to our lives. This next verse is a repeat of, verse of uh, Proverbs 20, verse 16. It says, take the garment of him who is surety for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he is surety for a seductress. Uh, we spoke about taking collateral or co-signing on a loan. If you take a piece of clothing as collateral, it's just, it's not that wise. So it's just like an immoral woman uh, that, that will, it will just leave you empty. So just wisdom in your business dealings. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, it will be counted a curse to him. So this sounds strange. Why would blessing a friend with a loud voice be a curse? But this is someone who's like so vocal in his flattery that you know that it's false. So he's just being very loud, trying really too hard to, to praise you that you know something else is going on. A continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Whoever restrains her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. So we've seen this same thought two or three times in the Proverbs. And I was asked by my wife to make sure that uh, I mentioned that this is not her. She's not this contentious woman that's like a continual dripping on a rainy day. But, you know, it, it's, it, it adds here, verse 16, it's impossible to restrain a contentious person. You know, if they're set in, in being contentious, confrontational, it's like trying to restrain the wind or grasp oil. It's just impossible to control. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. So this is just for us as believers to kind of sharpen one another, to benefit one another, to uh, help one another. You know, there's a benefit in, you know, good, intelligent, biblical conversation. You know, I, I think of the, the Berean Room format where, you know, people get together and they express their questions and they discuss uh, biblical uh, things and they discuss, the th you know, s how the Bible affects society. That those are all really good ways of sharpening one another. So we benefit one another when we participate in, in that. 
Whoever keeps the fig tree will eat its fruit, so he who waits on his master will be honored. So this is the reward of diligence in hard work. You know, it'll be rewarded. And the, king, and the kingdom of God, your diligence will be rewarded also. It says in 1 Corinthians 3.8, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. So there's, God views hard work and diligence really well. And labor for the kingdom of God, um, he, he honors that. And he looks at the motives, and he looks at the effort. He doesn't, na- he doesn't necessarily look at the results, because he brings forth the fruit. We just, we just go and we, we do what he's called us to do. Verse 19, as, water, as in water, face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. So our true nature will be revealed by our hearts. It'll eventually come out, come out in our speech. It'll come out in our actions. And, you know, that'll be revealed. Matthew 15 speaks about this in verse 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. So that's really the true nature of a person, is what you see come out in their actions and in their speech. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of a man are never satisfied. Sin won't satisfy He'll always be looking for more. You know, man can, can get into sin, but it'll never, it'll never satisfy him. His cravings will never be quenched. And unfortunately, for all of those who reject Christ, there's going to be more than enough room in hell for them. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold. And a man is valued by what others say of him. So... There's two different ways we can look at this. One of them is that praise and popularity can actually test a person to see if they'll succumb and become proud or remain humble. So it's kind of a test as the refining pot sort of tests the, the metal. That praise and popularity can sometimes test us. Though you grind a fool in, in a mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his foolishness will not depart from him. So back to the foolish person. Uh, very difficult for a foolish person to change his ways. Very hard for us to try to break someone of their foolish ways. It also says that we could keep trying, um, but don't be surprised if a foolish person doesn't take your counsel. These uh, last verses here um, just give us a picture of diligence. And we've seen this a lot in the Proverbs. And I think it's important to take these verses and kind of apply them to different areas of our life. This is speaking really specifically of an agricultural type of, uh, of diligence in, you know, whether it's with the flocks or with the, with the fields and to be diligent in that. But you know what? In all aspects of our life, God wants us to, to be diligent, especially in things concerning him. So we'll read through those verses. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the hay is removed 
and the tender grass shows itself, and the herbs of the mountain are gathered in. The lambs will provide your clothing, and the goats the price of a field. You shall have enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household, and the nourishment of your maidservants. See, God will reward us for our diligence. God will reward us for our hard work. And I like this also in, as we make application to the pastor or an elder of a church, you know, th- to be diligent in leading the flock. And for the flock to be diligent in studying the word, in applying those things to their lives. You know, we want to make sure that we're, we're approaching all of these things in a godly way, that we may honor him and that we can grow in our relationship with the Lord. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.